Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So welcome everybody to Adventures and Aberrations, a live play D&D podcast consisting of four random strangers who met over Reddit coming together and playing an awesome game of D&D. My name is Sean and I will be your DM slash host and fun fact about me is that I've been playing D&D for about five years or so years now. I've been in a couple of campaigns myself, DM'd a few and yeah. Next up, we will have Alex. Yo, what's up, homies? <laughs> I, I'm i Alex, and I've been playing D&D since I was about 11 years old. But uh, most of my experience uh, was 4th edition until I reached university, at which point I started learning 5th edition as it came out of the system. Sick. Yeah. And then, Tommy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Tommy Rose. Uh, I have been uh, playing D&D for about three years now. Um, and I've, I've been a player. I've been uh, a DM for uh, uh, a campaign in a, in a Joss Whedon world. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and uh, another fun fact about D&D related is that my dice bags are uh, crocheted dragon eggs uh, that my wife made me for Christmas. Oh, we love that. Yeah. We stand, we stand. Yep. <laughs> and our last player is Rosie. Hi everyone, I'm Rosie. Um I've been playing D D since I was like twelve. I don't even know what edition it was, but I remember my very first character that I ever made died because I fell into a spike pit with um, a gelatinous cube, and uh, oh no, I got absorbed into the gelatinous cube, but I stuck with it, and here we are. I'm still playing the game even today after that first wonderful experience. Really, just off to one gameplay right there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that we've introduced everyone, everyone, please roll initiative. Okay, so Rosie's up first. Okay. Ooh. So, welcome. To the world of Tapira, and this particular story takes place in its wonderful capital city of Inasi. Now, Inasi is a beautiful city on the western side of the continent, and it is being and it is the capital of the Unified Kingdoms. Inasi is known for its booming trade, its fishing and port activities, and most famously known for having a massive 100 foot tall stone statue uh, that is standing in the ocean kind of holding the continent in place and this story takes place walking down a busy suburban street now Rosie what do 
What does the audience see? So you see she's um, a short, low-stand halfling. She's three foot two, um, built like a teapot, short and stout. Um, she's got tattoos, left arm, right arm, legs, back. Um, and she has a bunch of just like different colors on her like monk outfit. She's got all sorts of like autumn colors, like really like rusty oranges, greens, and just every pattern she could possibly put together, whether or not it goes, she doesn't care. As long as it looks cool, she's gonna put it on. Um, and she's got like an old worn leather bag on her side that's got a kind of a strange little white plain mask attached to it. Um, she has her walking stick and then a really old banjo on her back. Perfect. And as you are walking down this busy bustling street, you see ahead of you straight in the distance a peculiar sign. A sign that's a little run down, but has character. And on it reads Oleander's Curiosities. I am busting in like I own the entire building. Alright, and then inside you see it's very busy this afternoon, and then at the counter at the very back, you see a very familiar face. You see your sister Opal, alongside her, Alessandra. Hey, Opal! Opal, Opal, Opal! You, 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 you got a minute? Uh, uh, yes, yes, uh, come here, come here. And she leads you into the back. And looking through the back, you see her three owl and children all chirping all quietly in the back and then she takes you a bunch of old kind of old outfits old knickknacks and then leads you to a little torch that's hanging on the back wall and then she clicks it and then from the wall to the left of you you see a bookshelf twist and then it leads to a secret passage behind it and she gestures you to follow before we go down, I'm um, giving each of the, the hatchlings a little a little hug from their Aunt Odie. And they all chirp, 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 as you show them affection. And we're, we're going down. And then as you walk down the spiral staircase, you enter into a very dimly lit room. There's torches lining the left and right wall. And then inside you see a little goblin family consisting of... A uh, dad and a wife, and then two little adorable goblin children, and then two other humans, a man and a girl. And then there's a little table at the back, and then she gestures you to sit at one side as she pulls out a chair, twists it around, and does the old-fashioned, you know, cowboy sit on the chair. <laughs> and she explains... Oddly, um, there's uh, something I want to talk to you about. So, as you can see by the goblin family and human family, there was, they were previous slaves, but we've given them a generous home and freed them from it. That was kind of my last mission. I've been working on that one for the last couple weeks, and I have something that you would find interesting. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of why I'm here, too. So... Perfect. Um, they were part of a little troop coming south to north of the Unified Kingdoms. Um, and 
basically they were telling us that there's a group of their other friends and other people who are, as she looks down, unfortunately enough to be there from their own will. And I was wondering if you would be able to kind of look into that. Oh, heck yeah, absolutely. Have, I, I mean, Opal, have I ever told you no? That's, uh, that's a good point, sis. <laughs> I could, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So, yeah. All right, they're going to be, they said they're going to be traveling up through kind of the university and the Vienna area um, for the next two or so weeks. So it'll be a quick snatch and grab situation, but I trust you're the one sister that could do it. And she gives you a little wink. Yeah, oh, heck yeah. So, because, yeah, I, I mean, I probably got something to do because uh, the librarian and uh, you see uh, only Winks um, sent me. He, uh, they have a lead, and uh, that's, that's kind of why I'm here. There's supposed to be a, a troop coming through, so. Yep, you if... know, I. Uh, these are probably one in the same. And if they're ever find anything, if they ever escape before you uh, find out what they're all about. I'll always snatch them up here in an assy like I always do. Yeah, she gives her a little kind of sad high five. But hopefully, uh, I, I, I think we'll get these ones before they get too far. You know, that's always the goal. We do our best, and most of the time it does us well. But there are the odd times where they get away. But I have faith. I believe we can do it. Heck yeah, and she gives her a, a, a less sad high five. <laughs> she reaches so, uh, out, smacks it, and <laughs> sits back down. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, how how long have uh, the, the newcomers uh, been here? You said you've been working out for a couple weeks. Are they like brand brand new, or like what, what the heck's going on? Uh, I brought them back around five or so days ago. Just trying to get them reset in this city, trying to find them a good house, good job, just somewhat to get them back on their feet. Do, do you need anything? I, I got some, some gold and stuff I could, if you need it, you know. Um, anything you're willing to give is always appreciated. Um, I will slide a, a big old chunk of yeah, we'll do 100 gold over. Um, she stares at yeah, it, give her 100. eyes wide. She's like, th "Thank, thank you so much. This will be wonders for them." Yeah, you know, it. This is what we do. You know, this is what makes it worth it. So. And then she kind of picks up the gold and then quickly walks over to the Goblin family, and then you see their faces absolutely light up. Like you've saved a couple. Uh, families who were brought into slavery and literally nothing is better than seeing that face on someone who's been brought up by horrible means and just finding a way back into life. Um, so while she's doing that, um, Odalie takes a, a journal out of her bag 
and it's pretty worn. Um, it's like when you have a book that you've like bookmarked too many times or a sketchbook where like the papers are all full of like graphite and everything's just really like chunky. There's like leaf sticking out of the bookmarks. Like you can see like there's little drawings um, and she opens it up and you see every page is a tally mark. Um, and she's going to put the um, more tally marks in it for the m number of people that are in um, in the area right now. And then she shoves it back in her bag and goes over and talks to the families. And then, as after introducing yourselves, kind of listening to their life stories, you quickly grab all your things and then Opal takes you back out of your secret entrance and takes you back to the front of the shop and gives you a little trinket to take on your way. It is a big seed. Oh, holy heck, Opal. What, what, is this, what does this thing do? It's just a know. big old seed. Just a big old seed. <laughs> You're a gem. She's just going to shove it in her bag like this is the best thing ever. But he, it was, uh, you know, I'll probably stop back in and, and see you, um, and probably won't wave at, um, Alessandra, and, um, but I, I gotta get scooting, so. Alright, understandable. You know. Um, I can, uh, arrange you to get a little horse to guide you on your journey. So it'll be, oh, uh, heck, that'd be great, Opal. It'll be a couple days scoot down there, and then that'll give you about a week and a half to fully uncover what is going on down there, but I know you can do it. Yeah, I'll send you um, some info once I get down there, you know. Perfect. And see what what the heck's going on. Always keep in touch, and stay safe. Hey. Hey, you too. And uh, she's just gonna book it out, and uh, get going on her way. And as the door to the shop closes, the scene fades to black, and then it reopens in a snowy mountaintop with snow whirling all around. And then on top of the mountain, you see a massive, almost igloo-type temple. It's made fully made out of ice. It's very domed and then has a massive entrance at the top. And inside the temple is only one chamber with an ever-glowing, ever-roaring hearth. That is at the back, which does not seem to melt any of the snow around it. And Alex, what do we see? Yeah, so there's this um, large hearth where um, Hearth is sit sitting just in <laughs> prayer. He's just uh, listening to the sounds of the winds outside the temple as he prepares for the night to go out. And what does Hearth look like? Hearth is a ice-looking Earth Ganassi who has these colorful lights radiating through his transparent trans uh, uh, skin. He is almost see-through, and these oranges and purples and reds, blues, just seem to glow and permeate through him. He wears uh, some dark furs with a large polar bear cloak on top of everything. Alright, and what is Hearth 
doing at the temple. Yeah, so Harth is preparing himself to go out and look for any lost wanderers before he comes back after his nightly round and goes to bed afterwards. Okay. So as you exit the temple, you look to your left and you see Coco kind of lead it up against the side of the temple. Oh, hello there, Coco. (laughs) You ready for tonight? (laughs) Looking like a quiet evening with all the wind. I doubt many are traveling. As he kind of waves his head back and forth. (laughs) At that point, Hearth will climb onto Coco. And the two of you venture off into the night. Then about an hour or so pass as you guys trudge through the deep amount of snow that has just recently fallen due to the nearby blizzard. And so far so quiet, not as much as the rustling of grass or seeing any wildlife nearby. You venture down into a deep valley total tundra nothing but just the side of a mountain with basically just snow everywhere blistering around you pelting you into the face and if you weren't made of ice it would really be hurting (laughs) then as you make your way down to the bottom of the mountain you start to make your way up and up and up until you get to the very peak to get to a great vantage point looking for potentially any wanderers lost in the night in the nearby blizzard and it doesn't look like you see anything as of right now with that um, I will start to lead Coco back it is quite windy and it's not worth staying up for very long and then as you start to uh, take Coco down the mountain you feel a massive earthquake shatter from a deep distance away and you feel the rumble at the very top of the mountain and it's enough to spook you all the way off of Coco as he rears up in um, surprise as you fall down onto the snow. Oh, 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 Coco, calm down, it is okay. And then, you will be and then as you look to the right, in the far distance you see this nondescript titan of a footprint of a foot stomp creating shock waves that go out of go out of and eventually you look up to the sky to the sky and then as the stars are all shining you see this one massive yellow nebula burst as a massive yellow light comes shining down from the night sky into an almost bifrost type radiance down to the ground where the foot stuff, where the footprint is. And you kind of shake your eyes and then you're back on Coco. As if nothing happened. I should talk to Kaokan about this. I suppose we should get back Coco, hey? 
Let's make haste. <laughs> As he skips down the mountain back towards the temple. Not skip. Skip isn't the right word. As he trudges <laughs> through the snow back down the mountain. And eventually you make your way back to the temple. Ugh. I... I... Uh, come down from Coco's back and tie Coco back up. I make sure to put a blanket over Coco because it's looking like a cold night before I head back into the temple to go find Kaokan. Mm -hmm. And as you go back into the temple, you see Kaokan warming his hands up by the ever burning heart. And what does Kaokan look like? Uh, Kaokan is a mountain dwarf. He is relatively stout with a very long, full beard that he has never cut, and drags along the floor. He has a long mess of hair that goes down his back, but it's kind of obscured by his heavy furs that he wears himself. As you see him warming up his hands by the hearth from his nightly wander as well, you enter the temple. I did not find anyone tonight, but I saw something again. Saw something? These yeah. seem to be more reoccurring as time goes by. Yes. It was some sort of light coming from the stars into a, a giant footprint of some kind, larger than the temple itself. I see. And with every vision you see, the more the more strange it gets. <laughs> what you do you What do you make of it? I do not know. It's just harder and harder to tell. It seems. I see. Sienna has not seemed to be very clear more rec most recently. I see. Well. She communes in her own ways, but one would be a fool not to take into heart what visions she sends. Yes, her visions have always been of importance, so... And have always come true. Yes. <laughs> well, I am off to bed. I see. I must meditate and think about what the vision might mean. As will I. Take care, Har. You as well, Coco. Uh, <laughs> you as well, Kaokan. <laughs> as he kind of moves away from the hearth down, down to kind of the middle of the temple, he sits cross-legged as he meditates on the night. Parth finds his way into his small chamber. It's about six foot by six foot, with just a simple bed bedroll in the middle. He sets down his belongings that he was carrying, takes off his large cloak, and sleeps in his furs. And as you go to sleep, you have a sound sleep, but then in the middle of the night, you see something else. You see a massive obsidian structure standing on an island in the middle of a roaring river. And 
the scene shifts as you see almost like you were lying down in the snow outside in the night sky. You see the stars align in the shape of three people. You can see yourself and then someone who looks very similar to you and then you see one person who is about half the size of you all standing side by side weapons drawn and then you wake up and that is where we're gonna end it and then Tommy we the scene shifts into a massive chain leak cage in the middle of a massive pit and you see a bunch of people standing around it smashing on the cage chanting as you see a massive ogre standing in front of you and what do the watchers and the ogre see um they see a um pretty short uh fire genasi um with startlingly uh strange elven features on him um he's about five two five three depending which tavern he's leaving um, he has uh, a crimson skin with piercing blue uh, elvis-shaped eyes, uh, pointy ears, um, hair of, of fire. Uh, he's very excited right now, um, and he's kind of like uh, pacing, uh, 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 like jumping back and forth, uh, um, sword aloft in his hand. Um, so his, uh, since he's excited, his hair is kind of like jutting uh, up in uh, <clears throat> kind of like different sparks. Um, his features are, are very, like, soft, like, soft-faced, innocent-looking. Uh, <clears throat> um, he, uh, uh, like, almost, almost welcoming. He's, uh, his eyes are alight with, with excitement. Um, he wears a dark green, uh, gi, uh, with an orange belt, a little <clears throat> component pouch, um, right to his, uh, on his left hip, um, and a soft, um, sheath. Um, kind of at his side, on his uh, on his right, <clears throat> uh, he holds his sword in his left hand, and um, hovering just uh, ever so slightly above him um, is a firehawk, um, kind of just staring down at the scene. <clears throat> Perfect. And then standing in front of you, you see this massive ogre, crouched like a gorilla, his two fists down on the ground, his back arched. And before you can even make a movement, he jumps straight at you and goes to slam both of his fists down right on you. What do you do? Um, I, uh, watching his movements, seeing his, his fists go down, uh, uh, like seeing him run towards me, fists about to go down, I, I wink at him uh, ever so briefly um, before um, spinning out of the way with a... Uh, <clears throat> Like spinning in a full circle with a magical shield going right around me, um, that uh, I like to think would would deflect his his fists. Um, as I turn fully to him uh, with his fists kind of like on the outside of the shield, uh, I I smile at him uh, ever so briefly before um, jumping uh, like dexterously out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> And I, I go forward, 
uh, as I jump away, I then immediately run forward and, like, as I'm passing by, to, like, slash right at his leg uh, and then go to the other side of the uh, of the fence. Um, <clears throat> as I do so, I... I, I catch uh, one woman's eye and I wink right at her uh, before turning around. And um, as you turn around, there's a moment where you almost lose focus. And he smacks his hand against the earth and drags it along towards your direction. And as he does, he barely clips the right of your arm. And you feel your sword get flung out across the arena and are now spawn to face him and you have the next move um i <clears throat> i i look at him um with the smallest of a of, uh, bit of, of, of panic betrays me my face uh very briefly before it immediately turns into uh, a mischievous smile um <clears throat> and i i he hears in his head now, I don't know if that was really the best idea, but um, if you don't want me to use a sword, I can do something else, of course. Um, <clears throat> before I produce two uh, bits of fire, in, one in each hand, um, and I, I um, like uh, kind of juggle them up and down, uh, put, one, put the one from the right hand into my left, um, and kind of like twirl them around um, before full-on um, fastball throw them as hard as I can right at his face. He takes it and stumbles back two feet, patting out his face from catching on fire. He shakes his head, eyes gloss over into like a red fury as he again charges at you and then jumps to try to tackle you. <clears throat> Um, I'm going to try to, uh, as he jumps at me, I'm going to try to uh, get a, a quick little run and slide under him. As he keeps running and running and running, he doesn't even see you slip under his legs. He keeps running and then puts his hand and feet to try to slow him down as he makes his way to the fence and then he turns around and then sees you on the opposite side of the arena. Uh, what he sees is now four of me um, as I cast Mirror Image. Um, <clears throat> and those four all uh, smile at him, wink at him, and run around um, just like he was doing. Um, and I'm trying to disorient him um, by seeing four different shelters. And then as you're running around him, he looks one way, looks the other and then does, brings both of his fists up and smacks the ground so hard it causes shock waves to disperse from him and then enough to do so where the just sheer force of it knocks you back and then sort of phases through the other mirror image as he locks his eyes onto the real you. Okay, didn't expect that. You're, uh... Okay, very, okay, very good, very awesome, okay, so new technique, got it, um, <clears throat> and I'm going to leap and try to grab my sword. Okay. As he sees you looking and running towards the sword, he also makes a break for the sword, trying to cut you off before <laughs> you can get there. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to try to, 
Um, as as he's like leaping towards the sword, I'm going to try uh, <clears throat> and uh, so sorry. Uh, press to digitate a uh, a loud sound like to his uh, like behind him to like an like an explosion to try to startle him, mm-hmm. uh, throw him off his course. And as you do that, he kind of skitters to a stop as he kind of throws his two hands up to his ears to try to block out the sound from this noise, and that gives you just enough time to scoop up your sword. Um, I grab my sword, uh, hold it aloft, run my fingers along the blade edge um, while, like, whistling a little, like, uh, tune. Uh, As I do so, uh, where my fingers, like, uh, traced across, the blade... uh, um, Tip, sorry, the, the, the sharp part of the blade starts to glow uh, the exact blue of my eyes. Um, and I immediately feel uh, both stronger, faster, um, and I have, like, my muscles are, are, are a little bulkier, a little tenser, and um, all of, I, I am fully limbered up and ready to actually start uh, this battle. And then as he turns your your way. You see him kind of shudder back, almost as if he was in fear for a split second, and then he charges you once again. Uh, I'm going to try to charge towards him, and uh, I'm going to try to... Uh, I'm going to hit him with my with a booming blade, uh, two slashes right at him. Okay. Uh, and kind of meet him in his charge. Mm-hmm. So he comes running towards you, and then you run up towards him and dive right under him again as you take out your sword and quickly one-two slash his right and left leg right on the cap as it starts kind of drizzling blood as he kind of takes his finger up to it, scrapes off the blood, gives it a good old lick, and then turns back in your direction. Oh! I, I, I immediately, uh, while I'm looking at him, not taking my eyes off of off of him, focusing as much as I can, um, I, I shout to the audience, uh, to the gathering audience, "This one is, ooh, this one's a fighter. Okay, who wants to see me take his head off?" And the audience is just screaming like, "Yeah, for the head!" As you feel a little boost from the audience as they're. Seem to be almost fully cheering for you at this point. I am so sorry, friend. It looks like all your routers have kind of changed. Um, and I am going to uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to grab uh, have those flames again in my hand, um, and I'm going to uh, lob them past him, um, uh, like right past his head. Um, to his like over over his uh, left shoulder, mm-hmm. uh, so he like looks and, and, and in that direction of the flames just missing him. Um, and as he does so, I'm going to try to come to, over to his right um, and s- slash him, uh, um, kind of like up from 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 belly to chin. Yeah. So as you run by, you drag your sword down from the ground. It's do a vertical slice gashing out his chest. As you run by, he instinctively swings back his left arm, 
and smacks you right from behind as he thrusts you towards the side of the cage. Oh, that hurts. Okay. Okay, that oh. I'm going to have a lump here. Oh, all right. Uh, I'm going to try to turn again back to back to the fence. Yep. And then, as you do that, he takes this moment to start running towards you, full speed, and then goes for one massive Hulk leap as he jumps down and, like his first move, tries to bring his hands down onto you. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to. Uh... Uh, like look around, try to see if there's an escape route. Um, realize that I can only shield from here, and I'm going to throw up a shield, uh, not knowing for sure if it's powerful enough. Yep. So you kind of, as he comes down, you kind of turn around and you throw out your hand as he stops in his track, as he tries to keep pushing down his fists onto your magical shield. He just can't seem to break his way through as you have a quick moment to do something. Um, with my, my right hand up, kind of like holding up that magical shield, seeing him, uh, like there was legitimate like kind of fear in my eyes, being like, I'm not sure if this shield is going to hold. Um, and the second I see that he cannot penetrate it, I get all of my confidence back. I, uh, I blow him a kiss, like without a hand, like, and like wink at him. And I stab uh, up as high as I can, uh, try to get right into under his chin. Yep, you kind of break away from his hands as you kind of skirt underneath him. And what do you do from there? <clears throat> uh, well, I'm I'm trying to actively stab like like right into the, under the jaw. Yep. So you thrust your sword yep. enough through his jaw through the back of his skull, as you see a as the audience sees the slight tip of the sword go all the way through and then you reach pull it back as he slumps off your sword down onto the ground and then the audience goes nuts um i uh more out of breath than i'm willing to let the audience uh see and realize i bring the sword down um try not to heave my breath too much and steal myself for a second before fully turning, doing a full, like, uh, sword slash dance. Um, uh, uh, doing the same uh, blade sing motion that I did along the tip, only this time I'm, I'm cleaning the blood while doing it, the blue of the blade disappearing as I do it, uh, before having a full flourish, uh, sword up in the air, do a full bow to the audience, and I turn uh, every which way I can trying to see the audience um, before finally with a huge flourish sheathing my sword um, full hands up uh, one more bow and um, then I go thank you, thank you now there's the gate, how did I get out of here? and then from the audience almost like you just finished a play they start throwing roses, they start throwing silver coins into the arena as you're taking your final bows, as you're doing your final flourishes and then <clears throat> A uh, big, muscly giant, not giant, uh, Goliath, break, just freaking rips out a section of the cage to make a <laughs> makeshift door, and then gestures you to follow him. You are too kind, thank you, sir. Uh, right before I leave, I, um, I, I like rub, 
uh, run my hand along the uh, the dead ogre's uh, uh, chest, um, and I just like silently, uh, as as he's like dying, I silently message him uh, in his head. I'm very sorry for what had to happen. Um, I I hope you find great happiness in whatever afterlife you believe in. Um, and I make my way towards the gate, the makeshift gate, I should say. Perfect. And then as you exit with the Goliath, you see a little gnome with like welding goggles and a little welding torch kind of repair the cage that the Goliath <laughs> made. And then as you exit the arena, the screen falls black. Thank you everyone for watching the prologue episode of our series. My name is Sean and I was your DM, as well as Alex who played Hearth, Rosie who played Odalie Oak Blossom, and Tommy who played Svelter Cinderlight. All the background sounds from this episode were from Michael Gelfi Studios on YouTube and their link can be found in the description. And if you enjoyed, please make sure to leave a review and please share this with your friends, family, or even your dog if you have one, as it's the best way to get small podcasts like this off our feet. And also, we'll have episode 1 releasing at the same time as this one, so I don't really know why you're staying here and listening to me talk. Go there now. Do it. You won't regret it. But there will be a blooper after every episode, so make sure to wait till the end. Thanks again, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. Frick, how do I start? <laughs> What's up, people? <laughs> it's your boy... Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to our D&D podcast. <laughs> We're happy to have you. Why would anyone ever want to listen to this?